Welcome to the Crexy Podcast, an insider's look at all things commercial real estate. I'm Giannis Papadakis, Business Development Manager at Crexy and today's host. Each episode, the Crexy team dives into a broad range of topics and conversations with featured experts to investigate trends, educate listeners, and understand the latest industry news in commercial real estate. As the nation's fastest growing online CRE platform, we're excited to provide a window into the inner workings of commercial real estate for this generation and the next. Welcome and thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Crexy Podcast, an insider's look at all things commercial real estate. In this show, we cover a broad range of topics that both cater to commercial real estate newcomers and industry leaders alike. I'm your host, Giannis Papadakis, Business Development Manager at Crexy, a comprehensive digital commercial real estate platform designed to empower all commercial real estate professionals with the tools they need to discover and transact property. As part of that mission, the Crexy Podcast hopes to provide a window into the inner workings of commercial real estate for this generation and the next. And today we are thrilled to sit down with the one and only Randy Blankstein. Randy, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here. You know, Crexy podcast is uh, the big time for commercial real estate podcasting. So, you know, thrilled to be here. This is not a low uh, budget well, operation. Kind, kind of you to say. Uh, a little bit of background on Randy. Uh, Randy Blankstein founded the Boulder Group in 1997 when he was only 27 years old. Uh, more than 20 years later, the Illinois-based company is one of the top 10 largest brokerage firms of single-tenant net lease deals in the United States. Boulder Group has closed over $6 billion in transactions and represents properties in at least 42 states. In 2014, 2019, and 2020, Randy received honorable mention for NetLease Executive of the Year by Commercial Property Executive Magazine. And in 2018, he was inducted into the Real Estate Journal, Real Estate Magazine's Commercial Real Estate Hall of Fame. A Chicago native... Blankstein earned his bachelor's degree from the University of Colorado at Boulder's Leeds School of Business. In addition to leading his company, Blankstein also serves as the chair of the NetLease Summit Conference. Wow, what a story lead up. Let's dive into it. So I'm, I'm a little curious before we get to our talk track here. At 27, you founded this company. I mean, I know at 27, I was not nearly as, uh, uh, you know, tuned in to my business mind. What was going through your head then? What were your friends doing at that time when you said, hey, I want to start this company and, and, you know, and start this group? Well, A, I think you have to be wildly naive to think in your 20s that you are capable of doing anything of this nature. But luckily, I was with a lot of hubris. Um, you know, my friends were at, you know, mid to junior levels of, of, of a lot of companies. Um, I was on a different kind of track, but, and um, we also were um, a few months away from having our first kid as well. So my wife thought I was crazy, um, but there really is no good time to, you know, leave a firm paycheck and get, and go take a risk to be on your own. You just have to go at, at a certain point. Um, you know, I know a lot of people who waited for the right time and who they're still at that old company or who never did it. Um, some regret it, some don't. I mean, there's no right choice. It depends on who your personality is. Um, but again, there's no good time to do it. I figured I would do it before I had a mortgage and before I had kids, even though it wasn't by much. Um, and, you know, there was a unique opportunity. I was, um, prior to founding the Boulder Group, I was with, you know, a firm that's been acquired twice and is now Cushman and Wakefield, um, owned by them. And, you know, I saw this little niche. I was running the 
AT&T industrial portfolio for the Midwest. And, and part of that, you know, a lot of people want to buy our facilities um, in the net lease field. They own these properties since the 50s and 60s. And they won't sell it to us as a company because they're like, it's a taxable event. I've tripled my money in the value. And, you know, you need to help me figure out where I'm going to go so I don't have to pay the taxes if I'm going to sell it to you. So, you know, I had to go identify replacement properties, which wasn't my job, but I did it to make the other transaction work and realized, hold on, this is kind of a niche. And it's not like it is today where there's, you know, 10 net lease REITs and it's a, it's a cottage industry and there's conferences and it's a huge, you know, part of the net, of the commercial real estate world, I think around 12%. You know, back then it was just people that owned single tenant buildings and leased to a few tenants and that was the market. So a lot different than it is today. Didn't know what I didn't know today. Um, right. But it worked out well, so I'm not going to complain. So I'm curious, what got you into commercial real estate to begin with? Like, how did your journey begin on that career path? So, I mean, I just grew up and I had um, some family friends who were in commercial real estate and they were all kind of interesting guys, if not characters. And, you know, from, from their perception of the world, they made it kind of sound fun and different. And, you know, some of them were developers and you could see the buildings going up. And, you know, it seemed to be entrepreneurial, it seemed to be the kind of people like me were in the field that, you know, that I related to. And, um, you know, I'm a kind of believer in, I, w- I want to get out of something when I put into it. And it seemed like, you know, entrepreneurial and, you know, high performing hard work could potentially pay off. So, you know, it matched a lot of my, you know, characteristics and career. And, and it thought it looked interesting. I mean, I didn't have any great insight as a, as a teenager or a kid that I had to be in commercial real estate, but, um, you know, got a finance major in college and I looked at finance and real estate as options. And, you know, commercial real estate seemed to be the, the direction I ended up going with. And, you know, I'm real happy with it. You know, I always joke uh, with my friends uh, when I was a broker that nobody is a kid on the playground uh, pretending to be a broker, you know? You know, you got kids building buildings with Legos and you got kids that want to be, you know, astronauts and firemen, but there's nobody that's going around trying to sell the Lego buildings to other kids, you know? Um, but, you know, it, it, it it's something that, uh, you know, you tend to find later, but uh, who was... You know, what was the founding of Boulder Group like? You know, did you, did you have people that were there from the beginning that are still there with you? What did that look like at the very beginning? Um, so go back to your last question, I'll get to this one. It was, yeah, I thought I would get into the business to be a developer because that's the people I knew. So I thought that was my career path. You know, you started the brokerage model, you move over to the development model. Um, but when you start having some success and you, you kind of like it, it, uh, you know, it just becomes compelling. So yeah, I didn't grow up on the playground thinking I was going to be a broker of anything. Um, but you know, it turned out well. Sorry, your question was regarding um, uh, the founding, like with the uh, the early the days founding, of so, the group. So the founding was um, me moving into a one office um, back of someone's office, which is my father-in-law, who said, look, you know, you're starting off on your own. You can go back and take one office in the back of my office. And, uh, you know, I wish you luck. So I thought I'd be there for like six months. And I was there for about four years, um, you know, working with by myself, literally, um, doing everything for four years, um, you know, trying to use my old contacts, trying to make it work. Um, didn't know, again, wasn't necessarily sure I was going to focus all on net lease, which is kind of investment sales, um, but it turned into net lease. So, you know, after doing that for four years by myself, I said, hmm, um, you know, doing okay here. It looks to be good. I need to bring on some people. But, you know, I decided that I, I wanted to be a boutique because as I, as I grew, and there's only six of us now, so we're still a boutique. Um, you know, I decided that you need to be you need to be six people or six hundred people. You don't want to be you know fifty to a hundred seems to be a number that you're kind of a jack of all trades but the, you know master of none. So I thought you know we kind of be this dominant team as as our own company 
or we had to be, you know, real big or sell to somebody really big, you know, trying not to get caught in the middle. And so this niche boutique, you know, has kind of grown every year. And, and you know, um, Jimmy Goodman, who you know, um, ha has been with me um, for the last 12 years. Um, and John Feeney, someone came right after him about nine years. Um, and the other people are, you know, a few years out of school, et cetera, so they haven't been quite as long. But, um, you know, that's been kind of the core group. And, you know, we've grown the revenue year over year, almost every year with the exception of uh, 2008 during the financial crisis was a down year. Um, and last year, obviously, was a down year. COVID, especially Q2, um, was not great for us. Got it. Yeah. And I mean, we, we saw that across the board. I actually had the good fortune back uh, in my past life when I was wearing my broker hat to uh, work and close a deal with Jimmy and uh, the professionalism and just straightforward, get the deal done attitude of your group really impressed me all the way through. It's one of the deals uh, that I particularly remember being um, one of the smoothest transactions, which ne almost never happened in uh, in my commercial real estate career. But uh, all I can say is nice things about your group to anybody that asks. So, um, I'm, I'm curious now, what drew you to net leases in particular? You know, I think you said at the beginning it was a boutique. Um, you kind of focused on, you know, several different things. How did you hone in on net leases? Well, first of all, thanks for the compliment. Um, we're, we tend to be no nonsense. Sometimes people call us no fun. Um, but transactions get done and, you know, our reputation's grown. So hopefully it's the right thing. Um, you know, again, I saw kind of this Netlease world before it was an official thing. Now there's, you know, now that there are Netlease world people, everyone specializes in some specialties. You know, we'll talk about drugstores today, but the people that just specialize in drugstores and specializing in Netlease was the time the equivalent, which is, oh, you're, you're involved in this sector. Um, you know, I liked it for a variety of reasons. I mean, I think it's, you know, I connect with the tenants, the recognizable tenants, they're tenants I know from firsthand experience. Um, you know, and, you know, for the most part, our, our client base is kind of high net worth. Um, you know, later in their life cycle as they transition out of multifamily or other things into kind of a more passive uh, lifestyle as they head to Florida or somewhere else in retirement. And that's kind of our bread and butter people. And I kind of, you know, like that crew. It reminds me of my father, my father-in-law. And, um, you know, it, it's been a good niche that, you know, one, it's typically multiple transactions with the same people. So I like the continuing relationship ability of it. Um, and, you know, again, I think we needed to have a specialty and this was, um, one that we had some success in and some background in. So, I, you know, we just, we kept to it. We didn't expand. We didn't do leasing, we didn't do development. We don't do property management. We're very narrowly focused, but um, it's worked well for us. And, you know, year after year, we have repeat clients. And so, you know, it's, it's turned into, a, you know, quite a business um, right. over time. And uh, you mentioned, you know, second quarter last year, I think everybody, you know, kind of felt that throughout the industry. Um, I'll, use that as kind of a segue to dive into pharmacies and, and taking a look at that sector as a whole. Um, you know, what do you see are the like foundational investment principles of pharmacies and drugstores? Yeah. I mean, look, the narrative before COVID was, you know, pharmacies um, were getting encroached by Amazon and there was this, you know, what share of e-commerce is that going to take away from the pharmacy business? So, you know, there were some questions regarding, they were always going to be sustainable business, but would they have smaller footprints or would Amazon get a big market share or would their pill pack venture take, take in the market? So there was a lot of kind of open questions around pharmacy and it was always a good sector, stable, reliable, and you know, it's kind of been our um, staple bread and butter, uh, whatever you want to call it. For, for instance, I started the firm, everybody always wanted, you know, Walgreens was kind of a 
A, it's a hometown tenant right next to us in Chicago, and B, it's just kind of a thing that everyone kind of compares everything, you know, is it better or worse than a Walgreens, you know, um, it's kind of a thing. So, um, you know, that that was the drugstore sector. So, you know, when COVID hit, people kind of realized that, hmm, you know, A, they're open, they're an essential business, and they're investment grade, they never had rent deferrals, they never had any hiccups during during the whole COVID crisis actually became, you know, more essential. They became, you know, obviously part of the infrastructure of the vaccine distribution in the country. And so, you know, they really came, you know, they were out of favor, but they came more back in favor as everyone decided that, look, this is a great sector because, you know, things like the clinics and other moves that they've made and, and you know, vaccine distribution, flu shots and things of that nature, you know, are kind of more essential, can't be encroached upon. And this is more of a sustainable business than we realized. So I think it, it kind of brought people, you know, kind of back in love with the sector. And, you know, it's been done real well since, um, you know, so well now that the, the issue is that it's picked through a little bit and supply is dropping because there's more demand than supply. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it's a high class problem to have. And, you know, it shows the kind of resiliency of the drugstore sector over time. Right. I remember when I was first learning about net lease deals and drugstores in particular, uh, somebody brought to my attention, you know, drugstores, they always have such solid, just real estate fundamentals around them, right? I mean, you look at Walgreens, you look at Rite Aid, CVS, you know, they're typically, you know, main and main locations, hard signalized corners, and there's always a parking lot, you know, you know, if you're going to the drugstore, there's a place for you to park there, which you know, where I'm living in Los Angeles is a big deal, right? If you need to go somewhere to pick something up, you got to be able to get your car in there and park. Um, and I think just those fundamentals alone, you know, kind of give them a severe advantage over, you know, some of their competitors in the space, you know, minus all the, you know, the wonderful benefits that you just mentioned as well. Uh, how would you say that they've changed over time or, you know, stayed the same? Well, look, I think they were a little ahead of the time because a lot of them have double drive throughs which is now something that everybody craves. <laughs> um, you know, people had single drive throughs and, you know, even back a little bit, you know, a lot of firms were in line. Um, and I think everybody's now looking almost all kinds of different tenants, not just drugstores, looking for, um, you know, freestanding locations versus being in a strip center, even over enclosed malls. And they want to drive through, if not a double drive through. I mean, I think everyone, like, for instance, in the QSR sector, has saw Chick-fil-A success with the double drive through and, you know, it's something that they definitely want to imitate. So I think, you know, the drugstore sector was early with that double drive through concept. Um, and, you know, they've been experimenting with, um, you know, clinic concepts um, for a while now as far as becoming greater healthcare providers and the like. You know, CVS did an acquisition a few years back in 2018 with Aetna for insurance. So, I mean, they're trying to expand the role in, in the healthcare services industry, um, not just be a store. So I think obviously that's advantage. And, then, you know, they're messing with their floor plates, experiment, I should say. Um, you know, Paul Grins is, is testing a thing called the Cooper model, which is named after the Mini Cooper, um, which is a 2,500 square foot version of of a Walgreens, which is has a drive-through and has you know healthcare-focused selection, but it's missing you know the soda section, the food section, the, the card section. It's it's trying to get into smaller markets and to larger markets with a less footprint, which is less rent, uh, a quarter of the size of their traditional store. They have about 30 up and running, and they're kind of seeing how they're going. So you know everyone constantly is experimenting with the right floor plate and the right omni-channel business model, and you know drugstores are no different at the moment. Right. Can you dive into the differences of the top three pharmaceutical tenants, Walgreens, CVS, and Rite Aid? Yeah, I mean, look, Walgreens and CVS are, are, are far superior from a um, number of locations perspective, from their investment grade um, perspective, and from a market cap perspective. 
You know, CVS is around a $100 billion market cap company. Walgreens is a $50 million market cap company. And Rite Aid is a $1 billion market cap company. So, you know, CVS and Walgreens, in addition to having, you know, four tons of locations of Rite Aid, much stronger financially. And Rite Aid kind of has a regional footprint in the, you know, in, in the West Coast and the Northeast, whereas, you know, Walgreens and CVS are more national players. So, um, you know, there's definitely a clear first two, <laughs> um, and Rite Aid is a distant third. They're still competitive in certain locations. Um, but they're just a distant third in general. Um, yeah, that, that uh, the thrifty ice cream isn't uh, isn't hidden like it used to, huh? <laughs> not not quite the same, um, you know. So you know, I, I think that I think things look good for for you know. It probably ends up like most sectors, two tenants eventually, and you know, Reddit's already you know auctioned off part of themselves to Walgreens a few years back. Right. So I, I think. Um, you know, right? You know, I've seen rumors of, of Amazon taking over them and all kinds of other things. But I think ultimately they figure they need, they need to find a niche, and, and that's still a work in progress. Right. So moving on to our next topic, you know, Netlease drugstores assets have really surged in popularity in the middle of the pandemic. You know, what's next for the sector, in your opinion? Um, I think it's more of the same. Look, I think that individuals are still very interested because it plays into themes, whether it's healthcare, drive-through essential investment grade. I mean, it hits all the boxes. So I think a lot of people will be interested. You know, the the sector isn't really very focused on institutions, meaning 75% of all net lease transactions for drugstores are in 1031 and individual buyers. Um, it's for a lot of reasons. One is, I think some institutions have concentrations already in Walgreens, so they can't expand their concentration. You know, B, uh, CVS and Walgreens have flat leases in the primary term, which doesn't go well for dividends that need to increase every year in the public markets. So they try to shy away from them in that. And then currently, you know, that they're trading in, in the low five cap rate range is below the criteria most institutions would prefer things six and above today if they could get them. So it's mostly an individual-based investment market for the moment. And while preference for, you know, net lease, you know, due to relative stability during the pandemic, you know, do you think that this will last or change? I mean, as, you know, more, uh, you know, vaccinations get out there, you know, do you see drugstores still having that, you know, strong foothold in this kind of position that they're in now, or is that going to shift? Um, I mean, look, they're obviously not going to do the same kind of business because of the initial vaccinations. It's going to be a unique one-time event. But look, they're already talking about booster shots. <laughs> and then once that's done, I mean, people still go back to flu shots and other things. And there's still clinics for everything from, you know, a sinus infection to a common cold um, that, that draw people there. So, I mean, they're, there's, they're not supposed to be a huge growth stock. They're supposed to be slow, steady performers, you know, like the bond market. The, the, they just go about their ways, and they have a, core, a good core business. But, I mean, they're not gigantic growth ahead, but I think they're, they're core, solid performers going forward. Right. And, I mean, did you see any kind of leasing changes that occurred during the pandemic? You know, rent negotiations, you know, deferments for, you know, longer lease terms, any, anything like that that was happening? They didn't do it. I mean, look, they didn't have to do rent firms because they were never closed. They never had a business drop, <laughs> like the majority of tenants that sought that. Um, but Walgreens still, because of their acquisition of some ready facilities, still had some overlap and got a little tougher during um, COVID in the last year and a half for, for rent reductions and extensions. So they've been trying to, you know, leverage themselves to better position, um, you know, lower rent moving forward. And also they've been able to, you know, over time, change lease terms on new new locations from 25 years when I first started to 20 years to now they're at 15 years because, you know, it's a, it's a tenant market to a large extent. 
and they're trying to take advantage of a shorter term lease. So, you know, um, so that, that's an issue with Walgreens at the moment. So you really want to focus on store performance so you can do well during those negotiations. Absolutely. And, you know, as supply adjusts and these tenants, you know, reshape their occupancy, you know, uh, floor layouts, et cetera, you know, what changes in transaction velocity have you seen in the first half of 2021? Um, you know, net lease volume for Kroger stores was down 13% year over year. Um, but that's first quarter. I mean, look, the January, February last year, people forget, was very strong before um, we entered into, you know, the March, April period, which obviously came to a, a screeching halt. So it, it's a tough comp. Um, and B, look, a lot of stuff got picked over in the second half of last year because everyone was looking for essential. And it was very much and kind of still is a have or have not type of market where everybody wants a long-term investment grade in a major market. and Nobody wants a third-tier tenant in, you know, in the boonies with the short-term lease. So, you know, they're still on the right side of that equation, and you know, it's still compressing cap rates today for the product, and it's getting harder to find, you know, quality product. And again, people were are, are still chasing, for the most part, you know, top 50 metros. Right. Uh, you uh, mentioned that you know Walgreens has a large number of leases that are ending in the next five years. You know, any chance of tenants seeking, you know, any kind of rent reductions or consolidation? Yes. I mean, look, there, there's certainly not going to be um, some of the, the right-in stores that they bought, which are within a half mile or, or very close to them, sometimes on the other intersection. You know, those are all not going to be staying. Some of those landlords are going to be under, um, you know, pressure to reduce the rent. And even some of them, you know, may just not be able to um, maintain them as a tenant. I mean, look, they're obviously going to get rid of the location that are bad, fundamentally real estate, you know, mid-block locations, things without signalized intersections, things without drive-throughs, you know, they're going to try to upgrade their position at a time when, you know, A, they can, and B, there's some, you know, softness in the in the retail rental market. You know, Walgreens is looking at it as a time to kind of upgrade their position or, you know, pay lower rent on existing locations that they like. So putting my, uh, my landlord hat on, if let's say I owned a Rite Aid that was acquired by Walgreens and it's, you know, let's call it close to a, another Walgreens. And for all intents and purposes, you know, the real estate fundamentals are pretty similar, right? Maybe the only difference is the, you know, the lease rate they're paying now. Is there anything that I can do as a landlord to incentivize Walgreens to stick with my location? Or is it really an internal, you know, what the numbers look like in store sales, you know, what, what remedy is there as a landlord to try to, you know, keep that tenant there as opposed to picking the other location down the road? Well, look, sometimes it's out of your control, meaning sometimes you're on the highway location on the way home at the end of the day. <laughs> and because of it, the other stores way outperforming you. And, and, you know, there's just nothing you can do about that. And that's obviously a prime time of the day, being on the right side of the road um, on people's way home from work is obviously a huge plus. So certain things you can't correct. Um, but things you can is, look, you can look at the expiration of the other Walgreens that you're competing with. <laughs> you can look at the, you know, the rent they're paying and you can look at, um, you know, your facility versus theirs. You can certainly offer to do some upgrades, even if you may not be required to do them, <laughs> such as redoing the parking lot or, you know, petitioning and help them with zoning requests to get another drive-through or something else to improve the real estate of the property. And then if that, all, if that fails and you don't have the better location, you know, as we start to talk about rent reductions to be more competitive, um, and you could get, the, get that done early prior to lease expiration. So, you know, maybe the leverage with six months to go is probably in Walgreens' favor. You know, with three years to go, you may have more leverage because they have a contractual lease for a few more years. 
Now, let's say that you haven't, you know, really had an open line of communication with, you know, Walgreens as your tenant, you know, up to this point, you know, is that something that you reach out to, you know, to you for to try to help with or, you know, where do you start on that road? Uh, we typically don't do Walgreens lease for negotiations, but I can certainly, you know, put people in, and anyone in this podcast who wants to, you know, contact me, I'm happy to put you in front of the right person at Walgreens to begin that conversation. And I think it's the best direct conversation um, because you need to have, you should have a long-term relationship with them, not just during rent reduction or renewal options, but kind of on a, on a day-to-day and week-to-week just to see if there's anything, you know, you could do. Or, you know, and a lot of, again, sometimes you, it's something that benefits you and sometimes it's something that may not, but build your relationship. Um, but I think you should, people should be much more focused, even though on a triple net lease, there is no day-to-day responsibilities. Um, so people um, either get lazy or just choose not to participate in an active relationship with a tenant. You know, it's smart to kind of understand what they're doing. You know, I had someone who said, look, we really don't like your store, but we like you as a landlord. And, you know, the, the developer that owned it um, got to build a new one for them that replaced his home store. And he kind of controlled the process and you know, ended up doing much better than if he had taken a line of, you know, stay here or else. Um, you know, he got to be involved in the other transaction, knew it was happening years in advance and was able to, you know, retent the other property to, um, I think it was advanced auto parts. Um, so it ended up, you know, a little bit better than if he had had no relationship with Walgreens because you got to develop the new one, make that profit and, you know, maybe give some of it back on the Walgreens that, that left. Nice. Well, uh, fourth topic, finally, uh, what advice do you have for investors that are seeking to enter the drugstore and at least sector? Look, by far the most important thing is um, store sale performance. And each, each of the different three of different metrics and different average store sales. But that's the key number to know. A little bit harder to get CVS sales than it is Walgreens and Rite Aid to report a lot of these locations. But ultimately, understanding the profit and loss and where your rent fits in is important, A. So that's the number one thing you should be looking at is what the store sales are. And even if they don't report, there's other ways to get it through traffic counts and other stores in the area and trade area and, and local people. And so the number can be gotten even if it's an estimate, <laughs> um, but it's really a thing you need to focus on. Um, you know, outside of that, obviously, you need to look at rent to market for retending scenarios and for negotiation leverage as to, you know, vacancy rates and where your re- residual rent is. Um, and then see, I think, real estate fundamentals. I mean, I would be very nervous buying mid-block. <laughs> Walgreens locations, I'd be nervous about buying things that didn't have drive-throughs. And I'd be nervous about buying things which had floor plates, 16, 17, 18,000 feet that are obsolete today. Um, so you just have to, you know, pay attention to the fundamentals. That's what it comes down to. And, you know, for ones that have right aids or new Walgreens close by, look real closely at the competitive landscape to where yours fits in uh, on kind of a ranking scale of what you'd want to do if, you, if the shoes were flipped. Got it. Well, that's all great advice. Uh, tell me, uh, do you uh, do you frequently, you know, go out and actually uh, kick the tires of some of these locations? Um, I've been to a surprising amount of them. Clearly, not all of them, um, but you know, it, it's interesting. And, and um, I'm not sure I'm a big hit with my kids for doing this, but sometimes um, I always stopped on road trips at towns that I shouldn't know that I actually do. And you know, you get to, you get to go see some of the locations, see the other tenants that you know and, and deals you've done. Um, and it's kind of great and a little bit interesting as well. So, um, you know, makes me a person who's been in this business too long, probably. So instead of the uh, the the side of the road, you know, tiger farm uh, on the way to the uh, the hotel, you're you're stopping at the the net least uh, spot to check out the uh, check out the bricks. If it's not too inconvenient, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, it depends on, it depends on the mood a little bit. 
Yeah, I, I, I hear that. Well, Randy, I, I want to really thank you for joining us and sharing your insights, especially on such an important and timely topic. Uh, we really appreciate your time today, and I know you're very busy, so thank you for taking the time to you know sit down with us this morning. Thanks again for having me. We're we're big Correxi supporters and fans, so um, I like the podcast and I like the service as well. So it's great, um, especially um, putting lease term in the Correxi searches done wonders for us. So uh, I thank you very much for that. Yeah, no, uh, it, it was uh, it seemed like a no brainer, right? I mean. You, you want to search by how many? But yes, some of your competitors don't have it. So, <laughs> I, I don't brands? Know about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, where can people find you online if they want to get in touch? You know, social media, email. What's the best way to reach you? Um, the best, the best, easiest thing is probably LinkedIn. But if you don't go to LinkedIn, our website, bouldergroup.com, go to the contact page. You know, my information is right there. So, happy to speak to anyone who's got questions on drugstores. Absolutely. I know that you're, uh, you know, somebody that is, you know, your reputation precedes you in the marketplace. Everybody knows you, everybody knows the Boulder Group, and, you know, it means a lot to have you come on and, and uh, join us for this. So really thank you for uh, connecting and, and, you know, agreeing to be a part of it. Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure not to miss the next one. Visit go.crexy.com slash podcast. That's go.crexi.com forward slash podcast and sign up to get the very next episode delivered straight to your inbox. You can also subscribe to the Crexi podcast on your favorite podcast app or check out our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash Crexi for video recordings of each episode. Goodbye, stay well, we'll see you next time.